Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I've chosen to do something other than what God commands in me. I've hardened my heart in that position because if you have, then today would be a great day to say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm confessing and repenting of that. I'm not going to harden my heart against you in any area. I'm going to be submissive and yield to you, Lord. And so if you recognize any area of your heart that you've hardened your heart there, I encourage you, let that go. Just turn it over. You'll be set free as you do so. You'll be the one liberated. It'll put you in a sweeter place with Jesus. But that's not something blocking. There's not this thing that's always coming up between you and God because you've let it go. The Bible shows us that hardening our hearts towards God is a very dangerous place to be. Pastor Bill points out Pharaoh in the book of Exodus as a stark example. After Pharaoh kept hardening his heart, he essentially reached a point of no return. This is why it's important for us to take God seriously. His grace is abundant, but if we keep refusing to submit to Him, we put ourselves in a grave situation. So Pastor Bill urges us to soften our hearts and yield to God instead of becoming hard-hearted. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 9 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Since He knows everything and He's got the plan, it'd be so wise for you and us to spend time seeking Him about His will for our lives so we don't waste it, right? Since he's got the master plan, since he knows what we're created to be, it'd be so wise of you and I to take the time to seek him that he might make his will clear to us. Lord, show me what to do with my life so I don't waste it. Show me what to do with my life so I don't waste any more of it. Because by the time I got saved, I had wasted some. I had wasted some valuable time, some awesome opportunities, but Lord, from here, can we go, for, can you show me what to do from here? And I do plead with you guys, to spend time in prayer and, and to do the things God shows you to do. Don't be long term disobedient where God has shown you something to do five times now. And you still like, I need to pray about it. You ain't got to pray about that. If God shows you something to do, there's nothing to pray about. You just got to do it. Right. So that's how Christians be disobedient. God will show you something very clearly. It's even confirmed with scripture. You need to go and, you know, make things right with this person. And you'll say something like, yeah, I'm still just praying about it. That's you just being disobedient. I want you to try this out with your kids at home. Give your child an order. Son, go take out the trash and let your son say, can I talk to you about that for a little while? And son, take out the trash. Dad, can we talk about because prayer is talking to God. God, Dad, can we talk about that a little long? What's going to happen? The, the talk is going to end. <laughs> something's going to come in touch with the mouth the talk is going to be over that's not going to be a healthy interaction right? That, you're not obeying that, none of us talk about go take out my will is made very clear take out the trash that's none of, we don't talk 10 more times about that keep that in mind when God shows you something to do and you're talking about you got to pray about it you need to be about it you need to go do it amen alright so moving on verse 13 he says, and as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. What does that mean? Did God hate Esau? And if you look up the word hated, it means loved less. Great illustration of that verse. When Jesus tells the believers, he says, any man that doesn't hate mother, father, brother, sister is not worthy of me. And you're thinking, what? God wants me to hate my mom? That's not what he wants. But he wants us to love them less than him. Do you know that some people can't serve God the way he wants because their connection to their mothers, fathers, brothers, and sisters is greater 
than their obedience to Jesus. That Jesus could show them to do this. And mom or dad could be disapproving of that. And so they'll do what mom and dad want instead of doing what Jesus wants. He says, you're not worried. You can't follow me unless I'm supreme. Unless you love me the most. Unless you love me above every other relationship. I've got to be number one. Husbands and wives have to love Jesus more than they love each other so that they can live right before God. So when he says here, Esau, I've loved. Jacob, I've hated. That's that's the, the idea there. It's not that he it's not like it's not when we say hatred. I hate you. I can't stand you. It's not that kind of hatred. But these were two very different individuals with different callings, different plans. And God says, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I've hated. Verses 14 and 15 now. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And so here God is, you know, Paul is kind of answering arguments that he knows are going to come up. So if God says, you know, Esau, Jacob, I love Esau. Is that fair? Is there is there inequality? Is there injustice with unrighteousness with God? And Paul says, absolutely not. Certainly not. And he says, for he says to Moses, and he said this to Moses earlier, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. Right. Can't be mad at God. For showing mercy. I can't look at the story and say, but but Jacob was such a bad guy. And God said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Sometimes people look at the people God selected and picked and they have a hard time with it. How come God couldn't have picked a better choice than that? Who wrote most of the New Testament? Paul. Imagine that you're a Christian before Paul got saved. And you were there when Paul was, you know, had Stephen stoned to death. And you were a part of the group when Paul was persecuting Christians. He took your cousins and he put them in jail for being at church. You, you've seen Paul be that guy. How, how easy would it be for you when Paul is showing up and he's the leader of the church in your city? That'd be kind of tough unless you really had God's heart. Right. It'd be easier for you if God had picked somebody that you love. God, come you couldn't pick the guy that was already kind of a nice guy, had a good reputation. How come you picked a guy that the last time I saw him, he was putting Christians in jail and he murdered Stephen. He had Stephen stoned to death. How come you picked him? And God would say, look, I show mercy. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Right. I can't be upset with the fact that God is merciful to sinners. And what it should do. Right. When we see that God is merciful to really bad people should be an encouragement to you and I. Shouldn't be something we get upset about. Now, I told you guys before I won't go into it, but I, there was a reporter that was you know, interviewing one of these mass murderers before they were going to be executed. And this person had done really vile, dark, wicked things, but then got saved and born again and was sharing that they had come to Christ and, you know, fessed up to everything they did, took the interview, owned up to their sins, admitted they deserve to die. They're not even appealing it. And they're just saying, I know I'm going to meet the Lord. This is how I'm going to meet him. And I, I, you know, I'm wrong for what I did, so forth and so on. And the reporter had such a hard time. So you think God just going to forgive you? You think you just you think you think after what you've done, you deserve to go to heaven. And she was just having a hard time swallowing that pill. I'm listening to the brother's testimony saying, wow, that guy's going to heaven. I really believe that he had a sincere interaction with the Lord. And though what he had done before he got saved was so dark. I mean, so disgusting. I'm listening to him now saying the brother sounds saved. That he sounds like he knows Jesus, sounds like he met the Lord. I can't have a hard time with that. I got to I got to look at that and say, well, God, if there's mercy for him. I show enough saved. You know, I, I know I'm making it. You know, it should be an encouragement, not a problem for the believer. And so moving on now, verses 16 through 18. 
So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but it says it's of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. You will say to me then, why does it why does it still why does he still find fault who has resisted his will? So now this is another issue. And Paul is a great Paul is like an attorney. He's bringing up issues that people are going to have a hard time with and he's explaining it. So for anybody that reads the story of Pharaoh and we see that God hardened Pharaoh's heart seems unfair. Right. It seems like if God hardened your heart, then is it your fault that you did the wrong thing? And if you go back and read the story of Pharaoh, you'll see this. Ten times says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And another ten times it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is what it looks like. This is how it works in the practical. And I, I'll just use the, 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 the hardening of my own heart. It looks like this. I know God wants me to do this, but I'm hardening my heart. I'm saying I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's me hardening my heart. Now, when God hardens a heart, what God does is says, I'm going to leave you with what you got. Right. It's not like God got mixed. He doesn't. God doesn't actively make someone disobey. God just says all the things that I would do to convict you, to challenge you, to woo you into obedience. I'm just going to remove my hand. You'll be stuck with what you got. Hearts hardened. That's what it looks like. So God's hard. God only hardens people in the position that they've already chosen. So note that as well. God doesn't take someone and make their position against him and harden them in it. God takes people at times who've already made their own decision. I don't want God. And God says, okay, you know what? There's a point where I'm going to let you have that. We saw that earlier. We studied Romans chapter one. God says there are people that, you know, get turned over to a reprobate mind. What's that mean? That means that they've hit a point of no return where God is no longer going after them. They're left where they're at. They've rejected God one time too many. They get to keep what they got. So that should caution all of us. Right. What should that teach us? Not to harden our hearts. I don't want God to. to, I don't want to be stuck in that position. I don't know if you guys remember. I don't know if you guys parents. When I was a kid, my mom would do this. I was I was I would make faces. And I remember getting in trouble one time. We were riding in my mom's car and I'm in the back seat. And I'm the kid, though, so I don't know. Don't judge me. But as the drive car passing by, you make faces at the cars passing by. And somebody, you know, some somebody couldn't take a joke, pulled up and told my mother what I was doing. Yes, just making faces and sudden, sudden. Uh, so I, I got in trouble for that in the back seat. And my mom would say this. You should make faces at other people. And she would say, because one day your face might get stuck like that. So you should make ugly faces. And, and I, I used to, when you're a kid, you're like, really? Like, I would make a face that like it might get stuck like that. Like, you'd be looking like that forever. And she did that to deter me. You know, like, don't be making faces. Don't make ugly faces. You smile at people because one day your face might get stuck in the thing that you did it. Right now I'm growing up and I know that's not true. So I still make faces at people. But as a kid, it was effective as a small child. But the thing is true with your heart. Right. Don't harden your heart towards God because one day you might get stuck in that position. And with God, it's not a joke. It's true. Pharaoh got stuck in his hardened heart, his position of a hardened heart. And so I would challenge all of us here to consider this. Is there any area where you harden your heart against the word of God or you harden your heart against individuals? Is there any area of your life where you can say, I've hardened my heart in the wrong position? I've chosen to hate someone. I've chosen not to forgive someone. I've chosen not to. I've chosen to do something other than what God commands of me. I've hardened my heart in that position because if you have, 
that today would be a great day to say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm confessing and repenting of that. I'm not going to harden my heart against you in any area. I'm going to be submissive and yield to you, Lord. And so if you recognize any area of your heart that you've hardened your heart there, I encourage you, let that go. Just turn it over. You'll be set free as you do so. You'll be the one liberated. It'll put you in a sweeter place with Jesus. Where there's not something blocking, there's not this thing that's always coming up between you and God because you've let it go. You say, God, I held that position all that time and it's wrong. And I confess it and I repent of it today and I'm not going to pick it back up either. I'm going to choose to obey you in this. Don't harden your heart. Right. It's, it, I'll tell you this. You guys, it feels so much better with the Lord. When you, when, you walk, just when you walk with the Lord and your heart's soft, it just feels better. Life is better. You'll be better. You'll be better off with God. Who here wants to be a Pharaoh? That didn't work out too good for him, did it? It didn't work out at all. So um, we got illustrations of what we're, you know, why you want to be a Pharaoh? Why you wanted to, we, none of us wanted to end like that for us. So then don't do what he did, right? Don't follow his example. Don't harden your heart against the Lord. Amen? All right, I'm going I'm to I'm cover one last section. And so I'm not going to probably finish the chapter, unfortunately, but I want to cover one last chunk of this and we'll wrap it up for the day. Look at verses 19 and 20. You will you will say to me, then, why does he still find fault or who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing form say to him who formed it? Why have you made me thus? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? And so the argument here, Paul is saying, is, look, why would you you can't question God? Some people do question God's fairness, his goodness. Well, God, I don't think that's right. You made them like that. You, you put me in that position. You just, you know, be careful that you're ever in a position where you're judging God, because a lot of people put themselves in that place. Right. Are any of us here in a position to judge God? We are the unrighteous. So God is absolutely righteous. Don't ever set yourself up to be that. And you got to be careful because we live in a world that wants to put us there. If God is a God of love, how come he allows that? And how come really are you judging him? You don't realize we live in a wicked world. God's given man free will and all the wicked things you see are the will of men doing wicked things. Can't blame God for that. Can't, I can't blame God for what men do. Right. It'd be like it'd be like your neighbor slapping me and I'm coming over saying, how come you let your neighbor do that? You didn't slap me. Right. That's what we do to God. Somebody else does something wicked. And we're like, God, you, 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 you let that happen. God said, I'll let you do the wicked things you do, too. Right. He would have to make us all robots in order to end wickedness. And so anyway, so moving on, don't let yourself don't find yourself in a position where you are you're judging God because none of us qualify to do that. And I think we know that. So verse 22, what if God wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. This is a verse that some of the reformed people go to and they say, look, here it says that God prepared people for wrath. See, they believe that God predestined some for heaven and some for hell. And this is one of their verses they go to, verse 22, where it says, now I want you to note the first three words because it's key. The first three words are what if God. Yeah, what is that? What kind of statement is that when you started off like that? What if? What if I said, what if I found a million dollars tomorrow you know that's a what kind of statement is that hypothetical all right that's what I'm looking for so it's hypothetical right if I said what if tomorrow I, I, I found a million dollars in my in my thing and then after I found a million dollars I say all the things I would have did with my million dollars well that's all hypothetical 
And all you got to do is be there tomorrow. <laughs> now, I won't have a million dollars and all the things I said I was going to do, I wouldn't do. This is a hypothetical, but Paul's making an argument using hypothetical. He said, what if God, wanting to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known to us the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand in glory. He's just giving a high. What if God wanted to do? He said, what if God made people for heaven and people for hell? What if he did do that? What if he what if he prepared them for this and set them aside and wrath was coming? Who are we to judge him? That's he's making a hypothetical. Say, Even if God did do that, you don't have a place to judge God. Now, we know from the clear teaching of Scripture that God didn't do that, but he's given a hypothetical. So it's a bad interpretive practice to make a doctrine from something like this. I want to go through clear scripture, right? One, I know that God is sovereign in control of everything, and God has made his sovereign will very clear, right? In 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any would perish, but what? That all would come to repentance. God said, my will is clear. I don't want anyone to go to hell. I want all people to repent. But what's the, what's the, what's the factor there that has to be factored? This is what I want. People got to repent. People got to, they have free will. They got to make a decision, right? We know from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that it's God, God desires that all men everywhere would be saved. That's what he wants. And so when I look at that, I'm saying if God had it his way, everybody everywhere would get saved. They repent from sin, turn to Jesus and be born again if God had his way. The fact that everybody's not saved is not because God doesn't want it. It's because people won't submit and surrender to his will. Amen. So I'm going to stop right here. But I want to give us a couple things as we close, a couple things for us to take home, some things to think about. I mean, we'll pick back up here next week from what we read in verse three. I just ask you these questions and I want you to consider them as we looked at Paul and his burden for his lost people. And we looked at Moses and his burden for them and how much he they said, even if I had to be lost myself for them to be saved, that is a burden for the lost and I just would ask everybody here, do you have a burden for the lost? Like, do you have a heart for people that aren't saved? Heart to see them get saved. And as Paul and Moses said, I, I, I set my own salvation aside to see them saved. I'm not saying that, but I am asking this. What would you give up to see somebody else saved? What are you willing to sacrifice? There are some people that love themselves and their relationships with their friends so much, they won't even give up that to see somebody saved, right? If I come at them too strong, they're not gonna wanna be my friend no more. And my friendship with them is more important than seeing them get saved. So I'm gonna be their friend all the way to hell. What kind of friend is that? But that's a reality, right? What are you willing to give up to see somebody be saved? And I'm praying for all of us that God would really grow our hearts for the lost, that we'd have hearts that love them, that are compassionate towards them, that love them enough to share the gospel, because it's, it's usually going to be a difficult thing to share the gospel. People don't usually want to hear it. It usually goes against what they're already doing. There's a spiritual warfare involved in sharing the gospel. So if you can be easily dissuaded or easily shut up or easily stopped, Satan will make sure there's a there's a spiritual battle there. You're going into Satan's turf, trying to lay hold of something that currently belongs to him and take it for God. So you got to you got to be ready to battle for that. And so you got to kind of go in with the mindset. What am I willing to give up? See somebody get saved. I'm willing to be disrespected, willing to be laughed at, willing to be outcast, willing to be beat up. Paul was willing to be jailed, imprisoned, so forth and so on. But he was so effective. So I, my prayer for us, all of us, that God would expand our heart, that we would have a heart for the lost. Amen. And we can pray that God would help us have his heart for lost people. Second thing is this. 
In verse four, as we looked at the Jews, how they were chosen by God and they had great purpose. You and I have also been chosen by God and we have great purpose. If you know that you're not walking in that great purpose, then can I challenge you, encourage you today that you would surrender to that, that you would say, God, show me what I'm supposed to do that I might begin to do it, that you wouldn't waste another day of life and space doing your own thing, but that you begin to just even today, God, show me something today that I could begin to move in a direction. I want to obey you. I want to spend my life for the, for the things that please you and glorify you. Lastly, in verse 18, we were looking there at the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, how he hardened his heart against the Lord and what it cost him. And if you recognize in your life any area where you have hardened your heart against the Lord, against his word, against his will, against a person, you find that I have hardened my heart and I need to I need to let that go. Then as we close in prayer right now, I'm encouraging you, call you, let that don't harden your heart. Let your heart be soft again. Don't harden your heart ever in a position against the word of God. You always stand to lose when you do that. So the only option is this. You can either harden your heart or what? Soften it. God, I'm, I'm, I'm letting it go. Right. Don't harden your heart anymore. Right. God will help you. Whatever you letting go to not harden your heart, God will help you do that. Amen. And so, Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you for. Uh, just your love for us. Even thank you for the, the lessons that we see of your love for us through the Jewish people. And God, I pray you would help us to just to be yielded to you in a greater way. Uh, God, we thank you that you have chosen us and set us aside for your purpose. And so, God, I do pray uh, that you would help us. Lord, help us as those that have been chosen and given purpose or help us to follow you and walk in that purpose. That God, we wouldn't waste these lives that you've given us. God, I pray for those that are here and just have have difficulties in their hearts, Lord, people that they have a hard time loving. I pray, God, that we would heed the word in Matthew 5, to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Lord, pray for them, not that they might change, Lord, but that you might change us or give us hearts like your hearts, that we love the lost, that we be kind and good and gracious towards our enemies. They got our hearts to be soft and pliable and not hard and, and, and um, just against you, Lord. And that God, as you've given us uh, purpose, pray, God, that you'd help us to walk in it. That God, our lives would be lived out for your purpose and your glory. I didn't get to the last verse, uh, one or two, and we'll get to it next week. But I, I, I'm going to say it anyway because I want to. I'm going to pray this for us, and I, I do want to give an opportunity for anybody who needs to be saved. But as we, as we, we'll see next week as we end the chapter, and Paul tells him, he's giving him a quotation from the Old Testament. And he says, as it, is written, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block, stone and rock, a stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And he ends off the chapter just reminding him that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever puts their faith in him, they won't be put to shame. They won't be embarrassed. They will be. That's who will be saved. Those who set their hearts upon him, those who believe in him. And I never want to take for granted that everybody believes in him. And so if you're in here today and you've not believed on Jesus for salvation, given your heart and your life to him, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to do that. And so I'm going to ask right now. And you would say, you know what, I'm here and I'm listening today and I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Maybe even if you listen to some of the things, maybe you're one of those that are practicing habitual sin and you didn't know that you can't be saved and live like that. And you need to repent of it and let it go. If that's you, 
then I would call you today just to surrender that you would repent and you'd acknowledge to God that, you know, the way I'm living is wrong. Recognize that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and that you would let him be Lord today. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Paul knew suffering, and he had faced false accusations, been beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and hated by his own people. How could a man who has suffered so much rejoice in it? He answers that question through the love of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Next time you're facing suffering, jump into the book of Romans, dig into the life of Paul, and remember the purpose of the suffering to produce endurance, character, and hope. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill Buffington has been working his way through the rich book of Romans. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person. We have two services on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and one service midweek. That one is held Wednesday evenings at 7. If you're not in the area, we live stream our services on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Under the media tab, you'll find links to our messages as well as our mobile app. We're out of time for today. Thanks for deciding to spend your time with us today. We'll see you again next time with more from Romans on a Transforming Word.